<laughs> Mile one. <laughs> I'm working with my colleagues to create a strong vision for the future of our city. Do you tell her to F off? I can't recall now. I mean, I certainly thought it if I didn't. To improve how the city gets the sidewalk snow clearing job done. It would be in the best interests of the city if he got the shit knocked out of me. But the city voted instead to save money. Don't refer to me as a coward. Oh, I think you are. I will leave the chamber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Indie Podcast. I'm your host, Drew Brown, and today we're doing a very special episode all about the St. John's 2021 municipal election. Although, given our extremely sporadic recording schedule, pretty much any episode of this show counts as a very special episode. Uh, I'm joined today by the Independent City Council columnist and former Ward 2 Councillor Hope Jameson and our St. John's City Election reporter, Elizabeth Witten. We're going to be talking about some of the issues at the heart of this campaign, what we learned by going out to speak with 27 of the 30 candidates either contesting or claimed to public office, and maybe even doing a little baseless speculation about what could happen next Tuesday and what it might mean. There's also a recent federal election where outside of a few ridings across the country playing musical chairs, including a liberal win in St. John's East and a conservative surprise in my home riding of Central Coast of Bay's Notre Dame, absolutely nothing happened and we wasted 36 days of our lives. So we're just going to move past it. And in the meantime, hello folks and welcome to the show. Hello. Don't forget the $600 million that we wasted also. Oh yes, that's true. <laughs> Truly, the election was a gift that keeps on giving. The best place to start is the issues that this election is ostensibly about, although who really knows why people vote or what any of this is actually about. I guess we'll find out next week. But uh, there are some hot topics that seem to consistently come up on the campaign trail. Um, I don't know. hope if you have any special insight into this, having previously been on council. One thing I'm finding really uh, sort of flabbergasting, I think, um, because it's it's kind of a an avatar of exactly the way that things get bogged down in municipal governance is how much people are talking about mile one. Yeah. Because it's like the, so there was a five ish million dollar subsidy in the 2021 budget, which is 15% higher than the year prior, ostensibly due to COVID. Mm -hmm. Um, it's 1.6% of the city's budget. It's less than half. If we were to completely eliminate the sub subsidy, which we won't, uh, of the budget shortfall that the city is facing. And yet several of the candidates identified it as the most important issue facing the city, which is ludicrous because like, for example, picking up your damn garbage is more important than what the city does with mile one at the end of the day in terms of like dollars and cents and also human life. So it's it's really interesting how how much of a a wedge issue that's become. Yeah. And I I made like one very sort of like innocuous tweet pointing out that the percent of the budget that that was and a bunch of guys freaked out at me on the internet which I found so interesting and like oh wow you you found that really really upsetting when I just said some facts okay <laughs> yeah I mean my impression of the mile one thing is like it to a lot of people it seems like the principle of the thing more than the actual impact of the fact that there is a stadium that has a subsidy that in the grand scheme of things isn't actually like a huge drain on the city's coffers in the way that some people presented it as um, and I don't think that anyone is saying that that money couldn't be better spent elsewhere. Yeah. Um, but there's a couple of things about it that I think are, are missing from the conversation. One is that there hasn't been an actual economic impact analysis of 
SJSE uh, since pre-pandemic. So we have mm-hmm. no idea how much actual benefit we reap from having events at mile one. And the second is that like there are there's work ongoing to study what model would be best to adopt for mile one. Because like what we have here is an outlier for a reason. It's not a good system. I don't think anybody disputes that. Mm-hmm. But with the established models that exist for stadiums in Canada, like nobody has really touched on what is the right way to go. Yeah. So like the money for doing that evaluation has already been spent. And I think just deciding before that report comes back, what you're going to do, especially if it's the sort of classic Newfoundland response of let's let the rich guy do whatever he wants. Um, Cause we know that works out really great. Usually yeah. <laughs> like, what I was surprised when I was talking to people and, you know, they would inevitably bring up mile one either because it was like question number two was what are the big issues you feel are tackling or are in your ward or in the city. And then we also have a question on like, what, what should be the future of mile one? And I was surprised at how, many uh, brought up Dean McDonald by name, who is the owner of the Growlers. He's now the owner of the Edges a few weeks ago. And he's, you know, been publicly out there talking about how much he would really like to own Mile One, the facility. And so I was kind of surprised that a lot of these candidates had said, like, they'd already reached out to Dean McDonald to get his perspective. So I guess, you know, as Hope said, you know, the, let the rich guy do what he wants with it potentially is kind of like a bit of eyebrow, eyebrow raising for me because, you know, yeah, you sh- as a candidate, you're interested in, you know, getting every perspective. And I guess if Dean McDonald wants to buy this facility, maybe you should see what he, he wants to do with it. But it kind of so early in the game of your political career to kind of already be making your alliance is kind of, made me stop and pause for a second at least in my head during in, in the that vein, what i'm really interested in is looking at the campaign disclosures and the, mm-hmm. the financial statements after the fact and mm-hmm. it's unfortunate that a lot of campaigns are choosing not to disclose until after the fact you can proactively disclose during the campaign mm-hmm. i did lots of people do but many people also don't you're not required to until 30 days after the election so now this is our last election with corporate donations thanks to the the campaign finance reform that was passed by the previous council so it'll be interesting to see how that plays out and how uh, certain business people have gambled on on candidates yeah. so i'm looking forward to to checking that out i'm definitely interested in cross-referencing all the candidates who talked about oh yeah i had a chat with dean and it went really well and i think you know we should really hear this guy out and whether or not that's where the money wound up um not saying there is necessarily any correlation there but i would be curious to check and it'll be interesting to see if any of those candidates in question end up getting a seat and what decisions they end up making and do they favor mr mcdonald or some other political player yeah because even even a few of the candidates are more sort of like open to the idea of like well maybe we could sell it or maybe we could set up different management even they were sort of like well we should also probably like put it out to a public tender and see what other offers we get instead of just going with the first guy who showed up waving a stack of money Mm -hmm. um but you know uh (laughs) that also is kind of like prayer for the course for how things tend to work in this province the uh magisterial uh canopy deal that has now just fallen through might be another good example of the first guy that shows up gets in on the ground floor and then bails immediately um and we're left with a big empty weed factory and and that's the thing is like if we if we sell the facility if we as as a city sell the facility we lose control about what happens to it so Mm -hmm. in a couple of years when the business model doesn't work which 
there is an established uh, case for the business model not working, mm-hmm. uh, you could easily say, cool, I'm going to knock it down and build, build an office tower or whatever else I feel like, you yeah. know? So um, I think that has to factor into the decision making is like, do we want to retain control of this asset or are we okay saying like, sure, by whatever happens, happens, that's fine. Mm-hmm. But it, it does feel like so many candidates kind of would say like, I don't know enough, but maybe we do need to really get rid of it or maybe it needs to be reevaluated. But a lot of them thought like, if we can just get rid of this weight around our necks, we will be in the fiscal clear. And False. it's like, yeah. they like That's demonstrably untrue. Oh, oh, yeah. It's such a small fraction of the money we have. And, and this is a thing about like reading all of the candidates' interviews and it's it's really apparent that some of them have done absolutely no research about what the role of council is and what is within council's authority and what isn't and what is going like the city's budget is a public document you can find it with a very simple google search there's no reason to say well i don't really know what goes on you can you can very easily find exactly what goes on so i i don't I don't accept that answer from people and I expect people to respect voters enough to know what they're asking to be able to do before they ask for people's support in doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, um, there are a few sort of cop out answers of the, you know, well, you know, I don't really know what goes on or like, I don't really know what's in the budget and I can't really know unless you elect me to council. So you should send me to council so I can see what happens and make decisions with your money is a bit of a, yeah. I On don't the know. flip side, I noticed Councillor Hickman said, I know more than most people, <laughs> which also feels like a bit of an admission to not being very transparent. And, and that is sort of an interesting answer mm-hmm. as well. Yeah. Yeah. There were there were so many revealing moments across all these, you know, like the 99,000 words of candidate responses that we wound up with. Isn't that the length of a novel? Uh, yes. That was, uh, was roughly. Yeah, I think um, like 25,000 is like the length of a novella. So this was, yeah, no, this was like the Moby Dick of municipal questionnaires. <laughs> like that that at-large interview was like, when I sat down to start, it was like 46,000 words. It was brutal. The white whale. Yeah, yeah there are a few of those in this election. <laughs> I'm so, so sorry you had to edit that. No, it's okay. It was it was good. It was really fun. Um, I, I, you know, I now feel like I'm a pro at like writing like, dialogue just from like reading so many different answers everybody has these like fascinating verbal ticks jamie korab was a delight to read um that's the only comment i'm going to have about that interview but it was delightful to read um it was real fun are you gonna say why (laughs) oh i mean you know it's just it was like it was just such a really like distinctive like speaking style like you could hear this kind of like i don't know it was like um Jamie is extremely charismatic. Yes. And you can you can read that yeah, from his that was, interview. That was like, yeah, I was like I was charmed reading that interview. Yeah. What Maybe is interesting about about that this. interview also is how different it is from his voting record. Yeah, that was the other thing that I kind of noticed. Like I didn't necessarily realize like Jamie Corab is like a great champion of like public fighting, transit. Yeah, public transit or fighting climate change or any of the other things that he talked very wonderfully about. Um yeah. You know, the, but just, yeah, like the exchange, we talked, we asked him about the budget and uh, he's like, well, you know, people have to make priorities. Like we might have to raise taxes. And I'm not saying we're going to raise taxes, but we might have to raise some taxes. I'm not saying I'm going to do that, but we might have to do it. But I'm not saying I'm going to do that, though. But some people might say that, but like. We're but a not, lot though. of the candidates were also like, these things are important, except we can't raise taxes. Yeah. So what I really mean is that I'm not going to do anything about any of these important issues. Yeah, there was. Yeah, the, the budget question was an interesting one because you could see who 
who'd thought about it and obviously there was some sort of very hard like no we're not going to raise taxes with my last priority but then you'd also see people who clearly wanted to do more or less ambitious things with the city but then when pressed about like how are we going to pay for it though just kind of demurred to you know we'll find some efficiencies or i'll I need to go look at the documents to know what's in the budget and then I'll tell you what we're going to do with the budget or, you know, maybe we can write letters to the provincial government politely asking them to change the tax legislation and then we'll fix the budget problem. Yeah. yeah. And like I, I said this to Elizabeth when we were first talking about the municipal coverage, it's like if people say we're going to find efficiencies, this next question is what efficiencies? Because like the city's had program review for five years now. There's no more fat to cut, guys. Like it, unless you severely impact service levels and in the last budget, they did impact service levels a little bit in 20 I think it was 2019 when I was on council we did a, an engagement process prior to that budget because you can't have a budget that has a severe shortfall without meaningful public engagement that's not right um and we we basically said like hey everybody we've got a budget shortfall we can raise taxes or cut services what would you like and everybody was like I don't like either of those things please don't do that <laughs> Which is the problem with public engagement. It's very difficult to get a clear answer when your parameters are a little bit murky. So, um, and, and what happened there was a sort of half and half solution. That is one thing that that is on the table always is like a combination of both. But not a whole lot of people said that, which I found really interesting. It was sort of like efficiencies, 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 or maybe we'll raise taxes a little bit. But Nobody said, like, there is a middle road, which seems like such an obvious answer to me, and yet it didn't show up that much. Like, to me, one of the, the answers that, like, wasn't explored um, quite a lot was basically, like, I think... I think what the province, I mean, what the city really needs to do is go to the province and be like, you need to give us money for, like, you either need to pay property taxes in the buildings you own in the city, or you need to pay us grants to move taxes. And I think Maggie Burton is the only one who told us that in the interviews. Um, I heard Jess Potter say that in the Happy City forum, but those are, those are the only two times I've heard it mentioned um, by anybody in this election. It seems like between that specific fundraising mechanism and also the fact that, like, the city of St. John's Act desperately needs to be overhauled. I think Danny Breen mentioned that in the interview, but like the, those are the only like, those are the only indications I've heard that people are thinking about stuff like that. And I think that's like, that's, I mean, in order for like things to get better in the city and us to kind of get out of this impossible problem of cutting and marginally raising taxes, except not really because everyone freaks out, is like the city needs to go to war with the province and get this shit sorted out. I mean, you say that, as if the city has any power to compel the province well, to do anything, yeah, though, I mean, which that's... which they fundamentally don't. And yeah. seven well, seven MPs in the region, it's not a compelling reason for the it's province to do anything. It'd be like a PR war. Yeah, yeah I mean, yeah. I mean, it's it's yeah, it's kind of a. I mean, going to war with the province is easier said than done. But I mean, I think it's like it would come from you need to have kind of like a council with the political will to do it. And you need to have a provincial government that could be easily compelled or browbeaten or otherwise threatened into taking action on this, which we might have now because we basically have a town centric government. And I think they're actually pretty weak and probably easily pushed around if the city decided that that's the route they want to go in. But it's also a really difficult sell at the provincial level because the balance of power in the legislature between rural and urban riding or districts, um, you know, doing nice things for town is very politically unpopular in the rest of the province. Um, 
Yeah, and again, that's uh, that's predicated on like a political will at the city level that I don't necessarily think we're going to see um, between the fact that probably anyway, yeah. I think I think it's not as simple as it seems. No, and I think it never that is. like I don't. I'm not going to defend the province because they don't deserve it, but the the thing is like the province does partner with the city on capital projects right. so if you're gonna go full danny williams style like what danny did with the government of canada uh the city to do that with the province would jeopardize some other really important yeah. amounts of money that they get yeah, and that's true you know it's it's sort of short-term pain for potential long-term gain but it's a pretty significant gamble so and, and like the city act has been under review for several years and who knows what's going to happen with that or how far along that process is. Yeah. But I guess it's less maybe, okay, I'm going to walk this back a little bit. Maybe it's less going to war between the city and the province and more so like, I mean, the, the, the province, the municipality's department in general needs to get it shit together. It's kind of like a, it's like the, the municipalities across the province need to kind of band together on this to get the province to overhaul a lot of the things that it needs to do. Yeah. Um, like it is, you know, this is, St. John's has these sort of like systemic issues, but it is really like... Compared to a lot of the municipalities and provinces, the city is actually like highly functional, which is kind of a fucked up thing to say. But yeah, compared to some places, definitely. Yeah, I can't believe that I'm like the moderate voice in this conversation. <laughs> but um, all that being said, and like, yes, yes, and yes, like, as I pointed out in my article, like it, it's a fundamental quality of life issue for the residents of St. John's that the province pays no grants in lieu of property taxes. And because they're not putting up that money, it's coming out of our pockets directly and severely impacts the city's ability to deliver services. So like provincial politicians answer to their constituents who are also residents of St. John's. So there has to be a human cry from the the people who live in St. John's and, and push their MHAs to get their shit together on this particular issue as well. And I have not heard that at any point. People don't know this goes on enough to care about it. So like, I think the population of St. John's also needs to like make this a priority for their provincial politicians. Yeah. I guess maybe it's less, uh, maybe we're doing less warfare than the city council needs to do some more consciousness raising. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Let's uh let's turn back on the pacifist fucking angle here. <laughs> Taxation. Yeah, okay. uh, now thought... back down from my declaration of war against the province. And now we're just gonna like politely talk to people and be the change we want to see in the world and all that other uh. stuff. I thought it was interesting that Mayor Breen pointed out that this is a reassessment year. So properties are reassessed and each property is gonna get a new value, which will change taxation going forward. So I don't know if that's gonna end up more money in their coffers or less so crucial detail with that because everyone is has been hearing these news stories about uh the real estate market's gone cracked and you can't buy a house in st john's and oh my god the the base date for the assessment is january 1st 2020 so pre-pandemic pre-boom mm. so things are likely to be down a bit but so what that means effectively is like your property assessment with a static mill rate if your property assessment goes down your taxes go down um so what appears to be holding taxation because we talk about the mill rate as opposed to the average tax bill here which is really interesting and different from other places in canada um so like 
if council puts up the mill rate to make up the shortfall, people are going to say they raise taxes, even though functionally for most people, the amount of money coming out of their bank account will be the same. Um, but the thing is, properties fluctuate at different rates and different segments of the market here tend to change at different rates. So that won't be consistent across properties. And like my bill might go down and yours might go up. So it's... It's a communications issue fundamentally, I think. And and because a lot of people pay their taxes through their mortgage, most people who have a mortgage don't touch their property taxes directly. So that raw number that gets talked about in the city budget often is is a source of outrage or, or placation um, when they don't, aren't actually thinking about dollars and cents and what it means to them. So, for example, I mentioned the, the 2018, sorry, 2019 budget. Uh, we put the mill rate up a little bit. For most people, it was about 10 bucks a month. And still people lost their minds, even though, like, in, in general, it's not true about everyone. But, like, 10 bucks a month usually won't make or break people's ability to, to pay their bills. Um, so, yeah, I think the conversation here is framed in a way that is unusual and detrimental to actually responding to, to changes in the market. I mean, should we should we talk about the bike trails? Uh, speaking of like intense wedge issues that people are really fixated on, possibly to the detriment of thinking about the bigger picture, the bike tra- like mile one and the bike trails are the two things that like people on either side are just like absolutely frothing in the mouth over. Um, and it's not totally clear how that's going to play into the uh, like the outcome of the election. Like, I don't know if pedestrian trails is like how much of that's an actual like major voting issue for a large segment of the population. It's certainly a major issue for a very vocal segment of the population. I don't know if it's going to actually impact results. Um, I don't know. I mean, like that sort of seems to be like the key question in like ward one, for instance. And if Ian hadn't been acclaimed, I imagine that would have been a major issue in ward four as well. But uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah. I don't know how that's, I don't know if the, the bike trail, the bike trails thing might be a tempest in a teapot or it might be like a deciding factor in the election of a number of candidates. I don't know. Yeah. I, I look askance at uh, anonymous uh, groups and I use uh, sort of scare quotes around that because sometimes there's a, a group that is in fact one person with a Twitter account. Mm-hmm. So it's hard to grasp the, uh, the full magnitude of the, the objection to that when it's coming from sort of anonymous sources Mm -hmm. or like you know two or three vocal people who have attached their name to it um and i think it's interesting because their position was sort of like will you throw the bike plan in the garbage the entire thing that the city paid i think about one hundred twenty-five thousand dollars for versus like are some of these projects potentially things that we should revisit the details of? Yeah. And so it's become this really polarizing conversation where it's either like you hate ducks and children and the elderly if you support paving trails at all, or you're an ableist bastard if you think we should reconsider paving some trails. And like, I think those are both bad takes. I think yeah. it's it's okay to say like, hey, like these couple of projects that have already been approved are fine and not controversial. Lots of parts of the, parts of the bike plan focus on on road infrastructure, which is also fine and not controversial. Um, 
maybe these two trails are things that we should consider the design elements of a little bit more closely before we fund them. There's also been no money allocated to do that work, right? <laughs> like this is not happening today. And like with the rate that the city funds active transportation infrastructure, like see in five years, maybe, yeah. you know, so it, it's, it's, been framed as this really sort of like urgent pressing issue when like it have you seen the capital projects list like it is long there are a lot of things on that that list that are going to get funded before any of this happens we spend like two million bucks a year filling potholes like come on guys <laughs> i mean you know look at like yeah the, the state of the discourse is such do you think there are people down in like rennie's river mill like chaining themselves to trees to yeah. stop the bulldozers that are there right now right now Unless those bulldozers are bulldozing for free, which they're not, like that's not happening. Yeah, it just makes me feel like, and every ele election, I think they, tr people try and get really passionate about one subject. An election has to be about one thing, like the past federal election that is now in our rearview mirror was about like, how did the liberals do on the pandemic handling? And this one seems to be, it's going to be like mile one and bikes. Yeah, which or is... Yeah, and it was trying to make that into an issue because it's very much as you kind of hope pointed out. It's us them. Like you are either for the children and the duckies, or you hate. You're out to destroy <laughs> nature. Yeah, forever. And I, I think the the crux of it is that like the the real issues of municipal governance are not especially sexy. Um, infrastructure doesn't get people all hot and bothered, right? Like it, it's it's just like. You know, oh, the development regulations. Like, I get excited about that, but literally no one else does. <laughs> so, yeah. it's uh, these these sort of issues that become the topic of conversation of the day are often, as you said, Drew. Like, they're a tempest in a teapot. At the end of the day, in in twenty five years, we're probably not going to think all that much about this. So. I think taking that sort of like long view on issues is like, do you want people who are going to vote your way on this specific issue? Or do you want people who are going to think holistically at a policy level about what goes on in your city? Yeah. And I mean, I think the more I think about it, I think like that's really the question of this municipal election is kind of like, what kind of council do you want to like? I mean, it's kind of a question of every election, but it's kind of like, I, I do feel like we're sort of at this like inflection point where this is kind of like a critical moment in um, the development of the city between, you know, like the the COVID emergency that we're sort of like still in slash emerging from, like the coming climate emergency, um, the general state of the province in general, and all of the sort of like major changes that are going to be coming down the pipe over the next 5, 10, 15 years. Um, yeah, it's kind of like, do you want a council that sort of approaches these issues holistically and thoughtfully? Um, or do you want someone who's going to pander to your specific yeah, pet project, yeah. pet issue? basically and uh and i mean that's like, and like what, let's be honest what people want is that second thing yes. like even people who say they want good policy actually just think their shit is the most important shit yes i'm sorry but it's true <laughs> no i mean that's, i can't believe you would suggest voters are self-interested instead of you know like thoughtful communist supermen <laughs> and i guess that's that's built into the governance structure of the city with ward councillors and councillors at large, right? It's like your councillors at large are your policy nerds, your high level mm -hmm. thinkers and your ward councillor is your person who's going to like get the pothole filled in front of your house. And, yeah. and those are really different job descriptions. And I think we don't really acknowledge that and no. people don't necessarily have a good grasp on these things. And so like 
yeah, it's it's important to recognize the difference between those two roles and how different people can be suited to those two roles. Yeah. But I mean, that's like that also that requires a level of like thought and understanding about the municipal system that like, frankly, most of us just like don't really think that hard about. I like, think I mean, council members should have actual job descriptions that are posted. <laughs> I, I do think that level of clarity would be good for them and for us. Yeah, I think so. Um, I mean, you know, like I'll freely admit like before it sort of became my job to keep up on like, what is the city doing and how does it work? There's like, yeah, a lot of stuff I didn't really think that hard about or even necessarily understand um, that the last like two years of doing municipal coverage has kind of like really like blown my mind a little bit um in terms of like how important this stuff actually is and how poorly understood it is in many cases including by people who otherwise are like super nerds about politics yeah like if the federal government collapses i don't think we'll feel it very yeah, much like we if would your know, municipal we would notice, government yeah. collapses people die pretty quickly yeah yeah that was yeah i remember um i heard i went to a thing in alberta an, another lifetime where nenshi and don Iveson were speaking and uh, yeah, it was basically the message. Like, if the federal government disappeared tomorrow, you would notice in like two weeks, maybe. If the provincial government disappeared, you notice like a couple days. But if your municipal government disappeared, you would notice in like two hours. When you don't have yeah. water or <laughs> your garbage picked up or all these things. Yeah. yeah it's, it's like the public works department makes the world go round, honestly. Yeah. <laughs> like, it's it's the most important level of government, also the one that gets like the least attention and the least like care, which is kind of backwards. But I guess, you know, I mean, the comparison between the federal election that just happened and the municipal election currently happening is like a great example. Like, everybody gave so much of a shit about the federal election, which is also important but also like it's a thing that happens to us because we have seven mps on the fringe of the country um yeah if we lived in quebec it would be a different matter yeah yeah yeah. we'll talk about that that's a whole other podcast (laughs) (laughs) um but yeah i mean in terms of like i mean it's like this is the level of government that's like closest to you you can physically just like walk to city hall and like you know well and when you call your counselor you talk to your counselor like they don't even have assistance yeah. like nobody answers the phone but your counselor so you know which is actually awful uh <laughs> let me say but it is a really sort of intimate interface with government that you don't have at any other level mm-hmm. it's true that's probably why all the renaissance italian republican theorists said it was like best to not have a government bigger than a city although uh maybe it's a little bit hard to do in the 21st century are you when, suggesting St. John's go back to being a, some sort of city <laughs> city state? Huh. Like well, they I mean, still do in like Germany? With the province. <laughs> yes. Well, I mean, like we're kind of de facto a city state at this point. Um, Have you seen those that those maps on Reddit? And it's like a uh, capital city is only habitable set- settlement, and Newfoundland <laughs> is one of them. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, in an ideal world, we would have moved the capital to Cornerbrook, but uh, you know, one of Joey Smallwood's many policy failures. Or maybe like turn Buckins into a kind of like Brasilia type deal where like that's for all the central administration. I'm is. for it. Yeah, let's do it. Yeah, no, we should all just move everything into the middle of the woods. I've been saying this my whole life. The Finally, <laughs> Grand Falls can become the new Jerusalem it was always meant to be. If we did relocate to the other side of the province and Cornerbrook became our capital, I mean, they get better weather. It's true. Yeah, no, they're, they they're, get more sun. There's literally no downside to having Cornerbrook be the capital of this province, except everything is already fucking here. Um, hooray for the sunk cost. Anyway, you guys go on. I'm going to die here. Uh, it's fine. <laughs> I like my edge of the, the world. It's all good. Yes, that was a rousing defense of St. John's. 
I mean, if the French were going to invade, at least we'd have Signal Hill. And there's a cannon up there, I'm sure. So that still works. No one expects the overland invasion. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe this got weird. Yeah. <laughs> Very different totally, type of podcast. Totally degenerated. <laughs> More militaristic than I thought I was signing yeah, on for. It really set the tone with this going to war of the province thing. <laughs> I should have thought this through. We still have the Church Lads Brigade. We'll be fine. <laughs> That's true. The only surviving paramilitary organization from the turn of the century. <laughs> well, you can never have too many of those. Okay, um, but can we? Can we? Okay, so speaking of the military, can we circle back to like why municipal governments actually matters and why the people that we elect actually matter? Because, like, so definitely. for example, like states of emergency, which like I, I have several gray hairs that weren't there before. Holy shit. Um, <laughs> Like, who is making the decisions on your behalf in a situation like that does actually, it's it's a matter of life and death. And so, like, that sort of question of do you have someone who's going to, like, think that your shit is the most important shit or do you have someone who makes decisions for the greater good does actually matter a great deal. And I think that's kind of evident in the answers to questions like who was willing to say something that was obviously not the right answer to the question, um, but was the true answer or the like actually functional workable solution answer, even though it isn't necessarily what people want to hear. Yeah. So like mile one, for example, really easy to say like, we'll sell it. Cause that's what people want to hear. Yeah. People want to say, let's get this, this off our books. Um, but lots of reasons why that's not like it's slightly more complicated it, it is just, much more yeah. complicated than that yeah and it's it's not punchy it's not sexy but it is good governance so do we choose good governance or do we choose punchy sound bites the age-old question i mean i'm probably i'm mostly gonna vote for good government i think i'm only gonna partly vote it despite this time but uh you know it's important to balance those two interests yeah i mean your your interest in council being entertaining I, I guess as a as a pub publisher is, <laughs> yeah, is a thing yeah my uh yeah my my i'm torn between you know like i'm a chaos agent but also i have to live here um it's uh it's tough you know it keeps me awake i feel like night. ophelia ravencroft balances those two yeah no well. I'm, yeah. I'm i'm you know like i'm wary to issue any more endorsements but uh yeah i would love to see some more goth representation on council yeah, it's exactly. important to see yourself represented in systems of government yeah the goth ethnomusicologist <laughs> is the sensible choice i compared to the others right i wonder what that will be like on council yeah, it, it's really interesting to see how people sort of frame their experience when you say, why are you qualified? And how some people made that like several paragraphs long and some people answered that with like a level of humility, like I'm a community volunteer, I care about my neighbors versus like, well, I've been in business for myself for 75 years. I've always <laughs> been a businessman, never had a job with somebody else, which also I, I'm like, why can't you work with other people? Um, Newfoundland macho ideal of being self-employed, <laughs> I guess, and being self-made. Right. Mm -hmm. Like Jeb Bush, self-made man. 
I'm listening to uh, a Malcolm Gladwell book where he references Jeb Bush describing himself as a self-made man and people being so attached to that <laughs> ideology that nobody went like, oh, wait a minute. <laughs> Please clap. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, I guess you can't really help who your parents are, but uh, you can at least be more circumspect about it, I suppose. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, but you, you're, you're absolutely right, Hope. Uh, you know, some of them, you know, got a very it was a very short question and you can easily sum up who you are and you know your qualifications and some of them just went on and on and said a lot of like i'm involved in the community and then they wouldn't really citation say, needed yeah yeah um like i don't even know what you do during the day mm-hmm. yeah there's a yeah it was interesting to see the uh the messianic qualities of that answer in some candidates versus some others it's uh oh man no it's fascinating mm-hmm. i love i love just like these open-ended kind of like psychoanalytical questions you can put to politicians and just seeing where they go and then just printing the answer because I think it's fascinating. You learn so much um, both by what is said and what isn't said. Mm-hmm. This is why I should have been a psychoanalyst, but here we are in journalism instead. It's too late. It's sunk cost. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Yes. Like and never go back and get my medical doctorate and then another four years of like Freudian <laughs> training. <laughs> I don't have time for that shit or money. I got a um, newspaper to run. Yeah. I think, honestly, they still teach it in Europe, and I think you can just mail away with it if you have like enough box of weedy tops. <laughs> and oh, I'm just true. like pissed off a bunch of like psychoanalysts, <laughs> but I don't care. I'm not here to make friends. <laughs> Well, before we wrap this up, it might be good to do some reckless and totally baseless speculation about what might happen in the election next week. What this election is going to be about, ultimately, this kind of progressive wave or like a neutral sort of status quo holding the line, or maybe some reactionary backlash, although we don't have too many of those candidates in this election, really. It's a non-zero number, though. Yes, that's true. There's definitely a presence for sure. Well, we know we're getting at least four new faces on council. Dan Stapleton, Ward 1's not running again. Neither is Sean Skinner in Ward 2. And Wally Collins announced the end of his long career in Ward 5. Mm-hmm. And we have one at-large seat up for grabs. Yeah, so there will be significant, like, regardless of what happens, there will be significant turnover and a number of new faces on council. Mm-hmm. So I guess the question becomes, in in races where there is, like, an incumbent, um, and a bunch of new challengers like do voters want to necessarily like fill the council with more or less quote-unquote inexperienced counselors versus people the sort of like steady hand at the wheel type deal given the various problems facing the city um, yeah it's still hard to tell where the electorate is on that question I guess that's what the election is for figuring out yeah, the zombie candidates are fascinating to me. Like people who lost in 2017 who are running again in hopes, I guess, that people didn't really like having a nominally uh, minority progressive council. Like if people found that offensive, they can just reelect the same old dudes that they elected for the like 12 years prior. Um, I wonder what will happen. I, uh... Do you name names? <laughs> Am I allowed to? Is that no, going to get us sued? Well, like Puttister, Art Which? Puttister, important to specify. <laughs> mm-hmm. Yikes. Um, and Ron Ellsworth, both were out in the 2017 election, both having run and, and yeah. come in. I think they were numbers five and six in the yeah, at-large so, pool. Which is not a terrible showing. 
Yeah, so like a credible threat, I think, depending on on how the referendum on this council's work goes. Mm -hmm. And it's it's interesting to me that so many of the ward seats are changing over. Like there's only one uh, incumbent running in a contested race in the wards and and all. And honestly, it's it's because being a ward counselor is a real a real pickle of a job. Like they they pretend that it's a part time job and you work 60 hours a week and everybody yells at you all the time and nobody ever is satisfied. (laughs) So, you know, I'm really marketing it well for all those people who want to get into municipal politics. But like that is the reality of the, the position. So I'm not surprised to see so many of those seats change over, but it will be interesting to see how that goes down. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Ward 1, for example, such an interesting race because like there's two progressive candidates, I, I, I guess. They seem to be branding themselves as progressive. Uh, mm-hmm. and, and then somebody who's like sort of touting her experience on the school council and, and this sort of like really like deep sort of soccer mom community experience. Um, pickleball in this Pickleball, case. sorry, <laughs> yeah. sorry. I, wrong sport. Um, it's a real sport. I had to look it up. But like Ward 1 demographically speaking not necessarily your ward most concerned with progressive issues yeah and so like like people in ward one in the citizen satisfaction survey were like please maintain my roads and don't raise my taxes um so it's interesting that the the things that those candidates are talking about seem somewhat different from what the residents have identified as priorities yeah. It is the, the wealthiest ward, I think, and uh, the most homeowners. Second, second, so the Goulds, sorry, Ward 5, which is more than just the Goulds, mm-hmm. but people often talk about it like it's just the Goulds. Um, ward 5 and Ward 1 have similar high levels of homeownership, high levels of, uh, of income relative mm-hmm. to the rest of the city. And they have, um, the, the difference is age. So Ward 1 is older. Uh, vast majority like in ward five most of the houses have children which is really rare for right. wards in the city so highest level of households with children happening in ward five so interesting differences there but uh mm. yeah i think ward one is the oldest and uh the second most wealthy interesting mm-hmm. yeah and because like ward four i think is like the youngest youngest and, poorest yeah youngest poorest yeah. i think ward two is like just kind of after that maybe although ward two is like a really weird ward. two three and four actually kind of neck and neck for being poorest hooray right. um <laughs> and the interesting thing about ward four is that ward four has like a significant proportion of people who have lived in st john's for less than five years right so yeah. a lot of a lot of students and things like this right mm-hmm. um and then I think I can't remember exactly. I did spend a lot of time with the citizen satisfaction survey uh, kind of recently. And uh, and yeah, they're all in the sort of like like a third or better in, in the lowest income bracket identified in, in the survey, although it was a fifty thousand dollars and less bracket. So there's not there's a lot of variation in, yeah, in like that. Right. Like you could make ten thousand dollars a year. You could yeah. make 50. So it's it's yeah. hard to say like what the prevalence of extreme low income is. Mm. yeah that would be that would be a that would be a good tact for like future surveys of this nature to come more, more granular, granular data yeah. please mm. yes let me yes. nerd out more <laughs> give me that data data is the most valuable raw material in the face of the planet right now but uh especially for good municipal government decisions it helps to know exactly what you're dealing with rather than just sort of like vague generalities but you know it's none of my business yeah i mean it would have been probably a, a handy thing for 
candidates to reference when building their platforms. I don't know how many people actually did that. I don't yeah. think anyone is as much of a nerd as me. <laughs> yeah. um, and I think because I've lived and breathed this stuff for so long, I'm like, oh, well, you can just Google it. But like how many people actually know that we did a citizen satisfaction survey and that it has those things identified? Honestly, probably not that many. So yeah, I, I knew about it when it first appeared and then I totally forgot about it until I started getting the copy from you that was like, in the citizen satisfaction. I was like, right, that's a document oh, yeah. I can go read. I should definitely check this out. Well, and for what it's worth, like citizen satisfaction did increase overall yes. from 2018 to 2020. So if you want to know about pe how people feel about their council, there was an increase in their their assessment that they were doing a good job. Mm -hmm. Whether that's going to play out in votes is an interesting question. Yeah, like whether that's going to play out in sort of like should we keep council more or less the same composition it had going into this or should we like, you know, increase. I mean, there's going to be a lot of changeover anyway, but like should we do a full changeover or, you know, keep it. <laughs> keep what we have and just add the new things that we're inevitably getting. I haven't I, heard more than a fringe level of throw the bums out, clean house. Yeah, I haven't really heard that around. either. Um, like, I honestly, like, in terms of, like, baseless speculation, I do sort of, I, I kind of expect all the incumbents who are reoffering to get back in. I would be kind of shocked if that didn't happen. But I'm open to being shocked about municipal politics. I put money on Ward 3. Yes. And that happening. Yeah. Okay. Jamie Korab. Korab. I think Jamie Korab will, will get, uh, yeah, get reelected. I've definitely heard in my own circles people kind of talking about uh, strategic voting almost. Like, okay, uh, maybe I'm not crazy about the old, the you know, the incumbents, the people trying to get their seats back, but I don't want a whole bunch of new people who will have to learn on the job. So I think some people are actually possibly going to think, okay, I'll vote for two new people and then a few steady hands on the wheel. I yeah. think that's yeah. overly generous to how much uh, work it is to to learn how municipal governance mm -hmm. works. Like there there are one thousand staff at the city, mm -hmm. actually that many, mm -hmm. um, who know how the stuff works and will tell counselors if they mm -hmm. need to know. Mm -hmm. So like it it really isn't like. I, I remember being really frustrated by how much people were saying the words learning curve to me after I got elected. I'm like, actually, I'm a smart person and I can read these things when you give them to me. It's cool. Don't worry. And it was fine. Um, as long as you elect people who are going to actually do their homework. It's I, I don't I don't see that as a concern, but people mm -hmm. seem to be making it a, a deal. Yeah, they think like, oh, no, you're putting in a bunch of new people right out of college and they're not going to know how to do their job or learn enough quick quickly enough because you know they get sworn in in october they're going to have to deal with the budget in december and it's like it's going to be chaos and things will be on fire and it's going to collapse but, but like the gift that this council has given to the next council is they started engagement about the budget before the end of their term yeah. which the council prior did not do for us thanks guys um <laughs> so like there there will be information about what the yeah. residents of St. John's want from their budget that the counselors will be able to access. Yeah. So like, it's not like they're starting with nothing. Um, and it's interesting. I, I saw in, in Ron Ellsworth's campaign materials that landed in my mailbox, like he's using that as like a yeah. selling point. It's like, well, the council will quickly have to have the budget, but like this, the staff do a lot of the like work on the budget, right? Like staff sets or sorry, council sets the priorities and they can say yes or no, yeah. or like, yes, yes, not that the other thing. Um, 
So, like, it's it's not as though council sits down and draws the budget itself. They are presented like a sort of menu right. of things. So it, it's not presented that way in his campaign materials. It's like, I personally, because I know how to budget, am the only one qualified to do this. And, yeah, it's just, it's false. You know, it's, that's that's misleading voters. I don't remember. It might have been you that told me this, like, in the 2017 election where there was this sort of this, like, yeah, we need to elect more, like, women on council and have it be more progressive or whatever. A lot of people voted for Sandy Hickman because they saw Sandy Hickman and thought it was a woman. I heard I heard that <laughs> anecdotally, yeah. And that's... The, I think though. a lot of people don't do a whole lot of research. Yeah. And so the, the interesting thing about incumbents who are, like, coming to the end of a first term especially mm-hmm. is... You have to defend your record in a way that you didn't before. And a lot of the new candidates I'm seeing have the luxury of sort of going like the city is wrong in about all these things. And then talk about like ways of fixing problems that they're that completely outside the city's jurisdiction. Like yeah. we need to give tax breaks to small businesses, Peter Whittle says. But like it is functionally impossible to do that with the Municipal Taxation Act. You can't give anybody tax breaks unless you give everybody tax breaks and then you don't have any revenue to do stuff with. Yeah. Um, so like people who are not currently on council have the luxury of having like these critiques that have no basis in actual legislative authority. Whereas people who are on council have to defend the things that they have done within these really limited parameters. But name recognition is huge. And the incumbency advantage is, is that people know who you are. And I think there there's a, a significant number of people who just like fill in the circles next to the names that they know. Yeah. So it's it's kind of a double-edged sword in that way it's like it hurts you on one end but like it it helps you on the other yeah i mean and i think this election just because like there is going to be so much turnover and there really are not that many incumbents um i mean i think incumbency will be an advantage here more than a liability for most of the incumbents on reoffer but you also have two people who are out in 2017 was it ellsworth and art puddister trying to throw their hats once more into the ring. Yeah, Was that going to help? Because I mean, they've yeah. been out for a cycle. I mean, that's like, that's that's the other side of the question, right? I actually, like, I think that may also be benefits for both of those candidates in their respective races. Yeah, and that's where it becomes about, do you like the direction that the last four years have taken? Yeah. Or do you want to go back to the way things were before? Yes. And it's, you know, also we had a minority of of. I'll, you know, for want of a better word, progressive. I think we're over generous with that term yeah, well, about a lot of the people we're, we're talking about here. But yeah. um, like when I say progressive, I mean people who don't want to uh, turn bike lanes into parking just for a random <laughs> yeah, example. I mean, progressive is one of those words that like it's so broad and encompasses so much and everybody wants to claim it because every who doesn't like progress realistically, but in as a general concept, but, uh, yeah, that in many cases it doesn't necessarily tell us that much meaningful information about the people who label themselves as progressive. Exactly. And um, so, like, there was a minority of, quote, unquote, progressives on the council for the last four years. And yet, you know, some some good things happened. The city is talking about climate change in a way that it never did before. Yeah. For all its controversy, the bike plan got approved and maybe one day will be funded. Who knows? Um, sidewalks, no clearing investments did increase, although not remotely enough. So like think there have been incremental moves in a positive direction from my perspective. But like I think the risk of that is that people can say, well, the council didn't do enough. Yeah. But you remember that, like, there is no whipping of votes in a city council. Yeah, There's not a party <laughs> system. Everyone is only accountable to the voters. So yeah. that's what makes the appearance of the slate, whose name we shall not speak, um, an interesting factor in this election. Um, 
but whether or not that actually plays out or appears on council will be interesting because yeah i mean that's that was the, the 2017 council um yeah it was like a progressive wedge let's say that was able to like occasionally get sort of like provisional support from like different parts of council which is how municipal government works um as you just said so yeah it'll be interesting to see if that uh if there's a bigger block on council but even then it's hard to necessarily say that like outside of a few questions um how many how much people actually line up around the same issues in the same way yeah and and with an exercise like we've just done where you ask people directly what are you going to do about this yeah. these these important issues like if everything is a priority nothing is priority especially with the amount of money that yeah the city has to work with so it'll be interesting to see how people's responses play out in their actual votes when you get into the chamber yeah and yeah i mean as we've seen with a few of the incumbents at least like what they how they answered those questions were not necessarily reflective of what they actually did in office and i'm sure that would be the same thing that plays out in what new candidates told us if elected may not necessarily be what happens when they are in office um and i guess the hope is that no one's going to pay close enough attention because who follows municipal politics as closely except for psychos like us <laughs> i mean people follow municipal politics when there is an issue that touches their lives directly yeah which is a problem because <laughs> <laughs> yes. if you look if you look at that one little part of the elephant then it looks one way but if you step back a couple feet then it maybe takes a different shape you know mm -hmm. and so i think this is where everybody thinks their shit is the most important shit mm -hmm. is is a big problem and, yeah. and can lead to some like less ideal uh, voting decisions yes which yeah i guess like comes back to the importance of uh selecting counselors who can sort of step back and see the big picture and you know like do the homework and have the thoughtful approach to how this stuff works rather than the uh the wally collins like two-piece the uh don't see nothing wrong with that and don't see uh, nothing wrong with the way it was yeah or on getting calls <laughs> yeah the uh yeah so who knows? Who knows what next week will bring? Um, not us. No, yes, not us. I make no predictions. I issue no endorsements. Yeah, I the, the only ward I would put money on is three, uh, yeah. and everything else, uh, Joker's Wild by. Yeah, it's, uh, yeah, I would give the incumbents an edge, but even then, who fucking knows, honestly. And it was such. It's been such a weird last eighteen months. People's attention. Even if it, they were the type to look, watch municipal politics, you know, the pandemic has kind of drawn a lot of attention yeah. away, too. And, well, and and it was really was, cute of us to have a federal election mid-municipal yeah, election Yeah, I mean, that's campaign. the other thing, too, right? Like, this is, like, this is our third election in 2020. One literally just happened, like, overlapping. So, like, I think the political exhaustion is real. Like, I'm fucking politically exhausted. Oh, I'm like, yeah. I live and breathe this shit, and I'm already ready to just, like, fucking spit and turn away forever and go grow turnips and Whitburn. Can I come? <laughs> <laughs> but uh, to, uh, as a fun light note, uh, this year marks the centenary of women in St. John's getting the right to, to vote in municipal elections. Yes. Only, so we only got if to you own land, land though, yes. Elizabeth. You had to own land, yes. And be, yeah, so you're disenfranchised. Yes, yes, yeah. <laughs> this is true. I could go and buy a chicken coop, apparently, if I really was desperate. That is apparently, le according to legend, what some women did. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, maybe maybe the historical energy of the centenary will bring forth wonderful things. Although maybe it'll be like more of the literally like actually like a lot of women are still disenfranchised, so we're gonna end up with sort of like a neutral to bullshit council. But who knows? Who knows? Certainly not me. I know nothing. 
Yeah, it's a it's a shame that all of the excellent candidates at large are all running at large <laughs> and yes. not in sort of the wide open field of the wards. Yeah. And like this isn't necessarily my field and you you probably have a better grasp of that. So is it because everyone thinks at large there's 13 candidates running for four spots? Is it because everyone thinks it's a free for all and you have a better chance of kind of slipping in there than battling out in the wards? It's, my, it's my, interesting. Yeah, my impression was sort of like, at least in this particular go around while all the sort of progressive candidates wound up at large is because everyone was really paranoid about repeating what happened in the 2020 War II by-election where you just had like a whole bunch of quote-unquote progressive or good candidates just kind of like cancel each other out and we get Sean Skinner as the counselor. Yeah. Um, so I think there was like sort of like a conscious attempt to like avoid that, assuming that like the ward races would be more competitive than they actually ended up being. Yeah. I think anyway, that's my read on the situation and I, I think both of those things are re the result of a lack of coordination which yes. is a surmountable obstacle if people decide to yeah there there is admittedly for all the sort of like talk and discussion of the kind of you know the sort of like a quote-unquote progressive slate i don't actually know how much coordination and cooperation is necessary oh i don't think there was any no, I, th I, I think, think everybody so. decided independently that they were going to do that at yeah. different stages of the game and uh i think it's also partly because people want to focus on particular issues you see certain yeah. at-large campaigns are focusing on for example accessibility yeah. um or like you know various various things and uh I think people don't want to get bogged down in word issues and be accountable to a particular constituency. They rather want to focus on like a particular issue or department. So that, that makes sense. Yeah. Definitely, um, yeah. That's, that's a rational choice, but it's, it's also like a, a word race is so much less taxing. Like yeah. I, I would say the at large job is fewer hours if you do it the way most people do it. Right. Um, so f in, in the long run, it's short term pain, long term, chilling yeah. but um but a ward election is just like it's so mu so much less ground to cover yeah. so many fewer people to reach so i don't know it's, it's interesting to see how how that plays out too mm -hmm. this is so fascinating we could literally talk about this <laughs> for hours but i suppose we should probably put a pin in it um, if we want people to listen to the fucking episode. Yeah, so in, in 2017, the voter turnout for young people was like huge, yeah. way higher than, than ever before because we had a bunch of young candidates running. So I was 28, Maggie Burton was 26, Ian Frad was 30 or 32. Like we were all, you know, yeah. recognizable to people of that that generation in a way that ha historically hadn't shown up on city council. And I, there are similar sort of, there's a generational shift happening, I think in the candidates that we see, or there yeah. could be, um, there's still lots of people in their sixties, but we have like a significant number of candidates in their thirties and a yeah. few in their twenties. Um, so that's really exciting and potentially could cause similar. I don't think we'll see that huge turnout again, yeah. but um Hopefully, too, those people have made a habit of voting. And so, yes. you know, 56% I mean, got... turnout last time. Hopefully we'll, we'll inch a yeah. little higher this time. But the pandemic is a, a layer and uh, election fatigue is a factor as well, you know. So yeah. um, the date of the election this year is also interesting because there's a 30-day residency requirement, right. which if you're here and you get here for school a couple of weeks before MUN starts because people are at MUN in person this semester. Um, like 
it's it's kind of touch and go like it, a few days makes a big difference about whether or not you can vote but the election being relatively late in september compared to some other years might make it possible for some new mun students to vote if they clue into the fact that this is a thing that's going on and i think having the federal and municipal elections happening concurrently is maybe a barrier to that because there's yeah. oh, there's signs i don't know um but it'll be interesting to see how those numbers play out after the fact definitely um yeah that's gonna sort of like i think that'll be one of the big hinges of the election, how many young people turn out to vote and who they turn out to vote for um, versus who decides to stay home. I think there's significantly less of that sort of concern about experience yeah. that Elizabeth noted with voters of, of a certain yeah. sort of younger demographic. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, so I guess like it, it depends if we have sort of like the older cohort that turns out in larger numbers, maybe the experience question is a much bigger deal. Whereas if it is mainly like people between the ages of like 18 and 30, it's probably a bit less because like, fuck it, give everybody a crack. Who cares? <laughs> they seem sensible. Let's go. I wonder how the age of our population impacts the age of our governing bodies. You know, mm -hmm. it's like we, our average age is like something like 40s, which is yeah. ludicrous. Yeah, no, it's, the it's, average. it's like the children of men province. Yeah. So do we have older councils as a result of that? Maybe. I heard someone or saw someone on Twitter saying like, oh, our council's relatively young. They're in their 40s and 50s. <laughs> Like that's not even relatively young compared to our province at large. That's, yeah, that's... yeah, it's it's a worrying <laughs> statement to me when people say like, oh, they're young, they're 58. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, I think Walter Harding described himself as a senior citizen in his mid-50s. So there seems to be some... Interesting. Yeah, there yeah. seems to be some digression about who counts as old and who counts yeah, as young. It's like, are you shopper's drug merit <laughs> senior or old age pension <laughs> senior? Or are you young at heart? <laughs> Yeah. Um, so this is, you know, kind of post the mail in date. So the 23rd was the last day to get ballots in the mail by like five o'clock, I think. Um, so, yeah. But you can still vote at City Hall during business hours. You can go and either show your ID and your proof of address or just swear an oath that you are who you say you are and you live where you say you live uh, and get your ballot and mail it uh, or sorry, and put it in the box at City Hall There's a big green bin out front uh, or you can go to a satellite drop-off location which is all, they're all listed online for mm -hmm. each ward there are two in each ward except ward five which has three which makes sense because ward five is huge humongous um so still still opportunities to vote if you haven't already yes and uh if you're confused about where to go to vote that's not city hall you can call 311 give them your address and they will very helpfully point you in the direction where you can go do that, which I had to do the other day because I forgot to register my new address with the city and I couldn't get a mail-in ballot and I feel kind of like a clown, but that's fine because <laughs> I also like to wait to the last possible minute to vote because, you know, like you never know what last minute scandals or horrifying personal revelations you'll discover. Yeah, I voted in the advance polls in the provincial election in 2021. <laughs> felt like a fool uh -huh. it happens um, to the best of us little known fact too like most candidates offices or or volunteer groups will be doing get out the vote efforts yes. and yeah. they they can't tell you who to vote for so if you need a ride to the polls call literally any candidate regardless of whether you support them and tell them you need a ride to the polls yeah. and they'll make it happen if you, if you really want to be an asshole call the call the campaign you don't support and have them bring you to the poll and then go okay, vote for somebody else don't but do don't that. don't that's do that not that's not nice that's really mean <laughs> don't do it you can't see me winking through the microphone but <sighs> i i told you it was a chaos agent <laughs> so man all's fair and love war in municipal politics amen <laughs> Thank you.
right, that's our show for the 2021 St. John's Municipal Election Cycle. Uh, I'd like to thank Hope and Elizabeth for joining us today and for all the work they've put in over the course of this campaign. Um, I'd also like to commend the many friends and supporters of The Independent for making all this possible. We just wrapped up a fundraising campaign where you helped us sign up more than 35 new monthly donors and raise well over $11,000. Your generous support means that we're able to pay for all our election coverage, keep the organization growing, and ensure that we remain ad-free and never paywalled. You can check out our work and donate anytime at theindependent.ca. I sincerely cannot thank you enough for the support. We're all in this together, and that is truly beautiful. Speaking of work, there is still more municipal election coverage to come. Elizabeth is working on a story about the calls for more policing services that a number of candidates in St. John's have raised over the course of this campaign. Jill Pearson is in Mount Pearl interviewing the candidates vying for office out there, and Layla Bodwin and I will be hosting a candidates forum for the mayoral race in Conception Bay South to be live-streamed on the Independence Facebook page on Thursday, September the 23rd. Stay tuned, it's all going to be great. Last but not least, I'd like to thank all the candidates for putting their names forward and giving us something to cover. Regardless of what happens next week, you're all winners to me. Just kidding, there can actually only be eight winners. Democracy is a cruel and ruthless mistress, and we wouldn't have it any other way. See you next time here in the Indie Podcast, and once more in 2025 when St. John's does this all over again. One <laughs> Where's the live zone? <laughs>